people often say, well, what can we do to help? That's actually a really hard question to answer, right? Same thing like when someone goes through a loss or um, whatever circumstances there might be, we want to extend love to them. We want to meet their practical needs, but that can be a really hard question to answer. This episode was recorded prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Some aspects discussed may not be relevant in our current context, but we hope this can still spur discussion and provide content in this difficult time. As always, you can visit ptc.sh slash talk to someone to find support from any of our online mentors. Welcome to Undiscussed. My name is Patrick. And I'm Caroline. And this is the podcast where we talk about things Christians should talk about, but often don't. Wow. That's How do you a, feel about that, Pat? Who I are feel, you? I feel really great about that. Who am I? Who are you? Yeah, I guess What's I happening can... What's here? We know each other, right? No. No? Never? So, uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> We've never talked, never met each other. Um, it's a completely new experience. Once upon a time, I was the host of a podcast. No, I don't believe that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I promise you. Uh, it was a little show called Undiscussed. And, Sounds like uh, crap. Uh, it's it's pretty good. You should you should go back and listen to it. There are a couple of good episodes, the ones that I'm on mostly. And uh, <laughs> but I'm ch- kidding. I so I we're no longer friends. Oh, I thought we weren't to begin with. No, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, right. Excellent. So now that we're on the same page. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, just I'm coming back to visit. I couldn't uh, couldn't spend much more time not discussing things. Haven't discussed a thing since I left. <laughs> It's been uh, an awkwardly silent couple and of months in my life. Mute. Yeah. In your new job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just not talking to anybody. No longer the host of Undiscussed, so I, I couldn't discuss anything. But yeah, I'm happy to be back. And uh, this is kind of a cool episode for me to be a part of. Why is that? Well, I get to interview my former co-host and his lovely wife. What, what? Okay, you just jumped the gun there. I I couldn't stay silent any longer. I could could see him, like, shaking, (laughs) just holding it in. Okay, we've had, like, you know, months of just back and forth, me and Eric, right? And now he's he's got to hold his tongue. That's that's a big ask. Incredible. Watching someone else introduce the podcast... Are you having some like attachment issues? I am, but I'm also <laughs> super excited because my wife is here. I'm also very excited. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Dawn. The woman. Glad to be the here. The myth. The legend. Yeah. The, 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 the subject of hashtag Dawn is amazing. Is that a hashtag? A running hashtag? As uh, long as we put out that uh, episode first, it is. Uh... Well, there was an episode where we inaugurated hashtag Dawn is amazing, mm-hmm. and I think I think it I think it's just a thing now. I'm just going to say it every episode. I hope there's groupies around Dawn is amazing. <laughs> I mean, ideally, someone would actually put the hashtag somewhere on the internet. Cause it's going to be if, me. Yeah, just saying. It, I don't know if it really puts it into the mm. you know the internet stratosphere. Okay, but three talkers and. And one quiet I'm going to per- be the quiet one <laughs> in the podcast. Welcome to the conversation, Dawn. Thank you. It's it so is a good delight. to have you guys. So we have these two wonderful individuals. You're married. What else can you tell us about yourselves? How do you, what is your life like? What is your interests, hobbies, allergens? Because <laughs> I know there's numerous for you guys. <laughs> allergens. <laughs> there is. Hi, my name is Dawn and I'm allergic to everything. Everything that breathes and moves. Yeah. I don't know if we have enough time on the podcast to list oh, yeah. everything. <laughs> Uh, what do I want to say about myself? 
I'm super passionate. I'm known as a good listener. I love my family. Cute. I'm super creative. I love music and the arts. Yeah, what did you go to school for? Yeah, I, my degree is originally in music education, so I planned on becoming a music teacher, and I've had an interesting journey. I'm not a music teacher, hmm. interestingly enough, but I do still love music a lot. What do you do now? So now I work in public health care. So I've owned my own business for the last eight years as a birth and postpartum doula. And recently I started working for a local government healthcare agency as well. Awesome. And is there anything right now in your life that you're currently like obsessed with, you're really interested in? You're kind of all hands on deck. Not really. Unfortunately, Bryce asked me two days ago, he's like, Bryce is my, our son. Mm -hmm. Mom, what do you really like to do for fun? And I, I kind of didn't have an answer for him. <laughs> fun. Yeah. What's I have a vague that? notion of what that might be. Which relates a lot to what this podcast is about, because a lot of our life is just managing. Wow. So I, I've been thinking more about that question and hmm. how I can bring more fun back into my life or things I enjoy doing. It'll be really interesting to explore. You really enjoy solving problems and making headway on your never-ending list of I do, yeah. of things to to like fix the world. Yeah. Yeah, I'm highly highly motivated person. If you're I, an Enneagram fan, I'm a 1 with oh. a wing 2. So I like to get stuff done and I like to also take care of people. Holla holla. It it is glorious to have you in my life because I am not like that in any way. <laughs> shape or form please gush more. I'm, a, I'm a doer it's, I'm uh, a doer you can I like to get stuff done yeah that's awesome yeah but I I fell in love with Dawn because of her listening skills and uh no one in my life had ever listened to me the way she had and I fell in love and wow. and uh here we are it's beautiful Eric you've been on the podcast for a while people are probably <laughs> pretty familiar who with you who are you why don't you tell us something that Nobody, you haven't talked about before on the What's podcast. What's a deep, dark secret? Oh. <laughs> or a shallow, light one, you know. Deep, no, dark secret. Deep. Uh, that's hard. So I'll, I'll talk about something, a new thing in my life. Uh, I decided at 40 that I needed to have a hobby because I, <laughs> I don't really. I mean, I like watching movies. I like playing with my kids. I like spending time with my wife. But, like, that's not, like. A hobby per se so I, I picked up uh, sketching so I, I I bought myself a sketching set I got like you know like 12 different kinds of pencils and and uh, graphite and potentially Conte I mm, uh, I've used Conte I have a friend Can you inform us what Conte is so like, a, like a pastel chalky type uh, thing right so it's graphite powder blended in with either wax or uh, pastel yeah, and uh, I learned that today, actually. I used to do gesture drawings with Conte all the time in school. <sighs> I didn't know that. Pat. My mind's blown too. If I never would have expected you to say I got into sketching, I never would have expected that either. Because I mean, I'm 40, and it never occurred to me. I would have said that I'm terrible at drawing and all that. So anyway, that's something new about me. And you're posting about it on social media, which is also new. Yeah, that's new. I hate, I hate, so ask me anything and I'll tell you anything. I'm an open book, but posting things on social media, that's just not my, my thing usually, but I've got all the channels 
you know, because Channels. Oh, geez. I got, I'm on all the socials. You on TikTok? I, I am. Wow. He literally sends TikTok uh, videos to us now. Oh my goodness. Well, my son, so I'm trying to stay hip and cool. Yeah, I knew that was a Bryce thing for sure. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. because of my son. And he, he loves to send me hilarious ones. And so I've started, like, it's like, it's like a dad-son thing, sending TikToks back and forth. And then you send your uh, lovely co-host a terrible TikTok about a bad cat, and it makes my heart sad. Well... I just want to expose you to the world. Well, you just really think that all cats are amazing. And no, I, I've I just, never said that. I just sort of feel like it's okay, my job. When I, she's pretty defensive mm-hmm. about cats. Uh, I'm not defensive. I love my cat. I sent you a hilarious you... comic about a cat and the true nature of them, and you seem offended. I believe the two words that you used were wow and rude. Yes. I say that to everyone. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. how she responded to me. <laughs> anyway. A little defensive about cats. I think you should have are to embrace... Are you defensive about dogs? No, I know exactly what they are. Dumb and loving, and cats are jerks. But you're defensive, hilarious. you're defensive about Toronto, though. Mm, I've grown out of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do I, I even know you anymore? No. Do I know you? You sketch. Wow. Wow, we've, is we've this grown. the Eric and Pat podcast again? I'm not <laughs> quite sure. <laughs> Well, then ask me a question about chronic illness. Yeah, yeah, we gotta we gotta move it to uh, to Eric and Don here. Uh, get to the good stuff, so aka the bad stuff. You guys are talking about this uh, because you have experience, but I actually don't know. Like, I know you guys do have um, chronic illness, but I don't know exactly what that is or what it looks like in your life. So, could you guys maybe share a little bit about uh, your individual experiences? You guys can rock paper scissors to see who goes first. <laughs> Fight to the death. We totally just pointed at each other and said, you go first. Well, th- everyone on this podcast knows that I don't suffer from... Unro- Eric has no problem with going first. <laughs> so I just wanted to give Don the opportunity. But We do have a sign that says, Eric, stop talking if you need it. Yeah. So uh, chronic illness has actually looked a little different in different seasons of our lives. And that's, you know, kind of part of it. So the main... Uh, thing that plagues me is a little thing called Crohn's disease. So that's an inflammatory response in my uh, gastrointestinal system. Hmm. And so typically uh, it manifests in different ways for different people, but typically it it's like poor digestion and pain. And um, I was diagnosed with that about a year and a half. Two years into our marriage maybe even less than that but that the only reason i was diagnosed was because i was married uh because i couldn't uh ignore the pain i was experiencing because i had someone else that was living with me that was like this is not normal you need to go to a hospital or you need to go to a doctor so how long before that were you just putting up with this pain oh years oh man yeah yeah, it, like we got married in the summertime and I remember that first fall, you were really sick. You had a lot of pain and we were watching TV one night and you went to go get a snack and came back and it dropped you to your knees. And I said to you like this, you really need to get looked at. This is, this not, is normal. not normal. Yeah. I, I mean, doesn't everyone fall to the ground in pain? No, definitely not. In certain contexts, but not normal ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but the thing with... Um, your experiences, it's your experience, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it, it doesn't everyone have like 
intense gut pain after they eat certain foods or like, you know, long bouts of digestional issues or whatever. I thought it was just normal. And Dawn helped you discover that it was not. <laughs> well, I just like kind of watched her just be normal. And uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, I had this bout with pain and I was diagnosed. And uh, I remember um, we actually lived in London at the time. And, London, uh, Ontario, that is. Yeah, London, yeah we have a, a, a slightly crummier version of every like major city well, in Ontario. <laughs> fun fact, when Don and I first got married, we lived in... Paris, Ontario. Paris, Ontario. And then we moved to London, mm-hmm. and then we moved to Guelph. There's, there isn't a Guelph anywhere else in the world, is there? Yeah, no. no. <laughs> Why would there be? <laughs> I mean, we love Guelph, but yeah. like, anyway. So, um, we didn't have a doctor at the time, and so I went to... Uh, walk-in clinic and by god's grace and provision we had a doctor who like cared and like wanted to follow me through the process and like um got me going through a bunch of tests and so on he kind of acted like a family doctor and i was diagnosed with uh, crohn's disease and the doctor at the time said oh you have crohn's disease and the trick for you will be uh, not becoming addicted to painkillers. And uh, I was like, oh, this is my life. He was like, it's not curable. It won't kill you, but you will experience pain for the rest of your life. And uh, I was like, oh, great. And uh, it it kind of comes and goes in waves. And um, pretty much every day there's some sort of you know, experience of pain or whatever. And it, it kind of climaxed in 20, 2009. Uh, and I had surgery in 2010 to remove a bunch of diseased parts of my body. We won't, this isn't a medical podcast. Um, and thank goodness. And at the time the doctor said, uh, that, I probably would have needed emergency surgery to save my life had I not uh, had that. Within days or weeks, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so just like seeing God's hand through all of it. And um, and I was fine for a little bit after I recovered from the surgery. And then, um, you know, in the last little bit, it's been, it's been bad again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's for any chronic illness, there's like a spectrum, right? And every person is individual within the particular illness that they have. So for you, Eric, like your version of Crohn's would be slotted into the severe category. But there's other people who like can't work because Mm -hmm. of their Crohn's. So I'm like, I feel blessed. That. So there's severe and then there's like extreme severe. Yeah. <laughs> there's even higher tiers. Yeah. Like, and, and just there's like different, ex- so like there's times where I've like been dropped to the floor with pain and like couldn't move or um, like during my surgery or just after surgery, I like found out that morphine doesn't like, like take away my pain and I like practically OD'd and stopped breathing. And there's just, you know, fun little anecdotes. <laughs> peppered through my my story which are i can laugh about now but are like super stressful at the time really scary yeah yeah and so you hinted at it earlier you you said early on in your marriage uh you used to just watch dawn be normal 
and you realize that you had something. So does that imply then that you you experienced chronic illness at the onset was a little bit later than that? Mm-hmm. When did it start for you? Yeah. So 2010 was a particularly difficult year. I think for both of us, that was sort of a, I don't know what you want to call it, fork in the road. I was going to call it a, a bleep show. <laughs> a bleep show. Finish that sentence, Eric. He did. I was going to call it a bleep show, period. That's where, that's where it ended. So Eric had surgery. The sur- They ended up taking, removing way more of Eric's intestines than what they initially thought. So there were, he was in the hospital longer, and the recovery was much worse than what we thought. Then we think the surgery probably triggered something with his immune system, so we had thyroid issues. So we spent a lot of that time just sort of recovering. And, uh, and then that fall... Developed nerve issues in my back. Yeah. Yeah, you herniated a disc in your back as a result of the surgery. a weakened core from the surgery. Like there were just a whole bunch of complications that we didn't anticipate. And then in the fall, I was standing at the sink doing dishes and I lost the feeling in my toes. And I was like, oh, that's weird. You know, sometimes your body tells you like, maybe you should pay attention and you're running a little ragged. And I was like, oh, I, we had had such a stressful year. We had a really busy summer. We were traveling and had come back. And this started happening. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to rest really well tonight, see what happens. And over the course of the week, the loss of sensation and tingling went from my feet basically to my waist and severe in just like five or six days. Were you able to walk or? I started to lose my balance. So I could, like I had no proprioception on the floor. I didn't, I couldn't feel. I could, I still had enough strength in my legs that I could walk, but the sensation of balance and feeling was drastically reduced and it was spiraling so severely we were actually at a barbecue with friends I started to feel a tingling going up into my chest and I was having more and more difficulty with walking and started to lose the the motion or the coordination of my legs and so at that point a good friend of ours said I think you should go to emerge so we left our kids with some friends. They were just little, little at the time. And I spent the next five days at McMaster Hospital trying to figure out what was going on. And I thought I was gonna die. We actually had no idea what was going on at that moment, at that time. Yeah, our kids were really little. Ella was weaned by you going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was crazy. So was it around that time that you were diagnosed or is that when you found out that this was going to be something that was chronic so while i was in the hospital they found some lesions on my spinal cord so it looked like it was neurologically related but there wasn't enough evidence to give a clear diagnosis so at that point they said we're going to give you some drugs that won't actually help heal but will help with the symptoms because at that point i was having such difficulty walking i had to walk using a walker couldn't walk in a straight line, couldn't balance without holding on to something. Um, So started immediately doing at-home physio to try and gain some of that back. And then they said in six months that they would run a series of tests again and and just see if there was more evidence for what it was going to be. So six months later, I went back. And then at that point, I actually showed some lesions on um, and scarring in my brain. So at that time, so six months later, I was officially diagnosed with MS. Are you okay with saying MS? 
Yeah, like I, we were talking earlier about how I don't usually share very much about that professionally. There is still a lot of stigma around MS. And so it's just, it just is a touchy topic, right? So this is one of those things too where it's, it's undiscussed, but maybe not only because people are scared mm-hmm. to ask or not knowledgeable enough to ask, but also because you might be uncomfortable uh, with sharing about the the details so you mentioned this the stigma that prevents you um, mm-hmm. what what kind of stigma uh, specifically do you experience that prevents you from wanting to talk about it yeah that's it's again every person's experience is individual right but with ms in particular again there's such a range for what people's experience is like and it certainly affects energy it can affect motor control some people um in their experience with the disease decline rapidly. So I think there's always a fear of how is this going to affect my work life? How is it going to affect my relationships? I think for me, the probably the biggest thing is just fear around how will that be interpreted in terms of what my capacity is to do what I need to do for my job. Yeah. What about, what about for you, Eric? That's a good question. I think just my personality, (laughs) I don't really understand stigma of sharing information. Um, I'm just really open, but uh, I'll answer your question in a different way than than maybe you're expecting. One thing I do find hard about it is I don't want to always talk about it. Uh, so one of my coping mechanisms to deal with the pain and the issues surrounding my Um, health and so on is to just ignore it and to forget about it and most people who love me and care about me want to ask how are you doing like how's your health how's this how's that and they constantly want to ask me about it because they care and um, sometimes that's (laughs) that's really hard and I don't want to answer their questions and I don't want to talk about it and I don't want I want to have it undiscussed oh that's interesting because it's it's painful and especially in in uh, in a faith-based community where there's like a belief that god can heal and a belief that god um intimately cares about us and a belief that god is powerful um what does it mean for us as a couple who are in ministry together and who like love Jesus and believe that he can heal us and, and save us and so on that we are experiencing chronic illness. Like that there, there are tough questions to answer in terms of that. And so sometimes it's, it's uh, easy er to just leave it undiscussed. And I think I'm curious too. I mean, that has that was back in 2010 20, 2009 mm-hmm. and we're now in 2020 and you know chronic illness sometimes one of the biggest stigmas or the biggest barriers is it's not always visible mm-hmm. um i mean don walked in here uh you are sitting across from us you appear to be fine yeah but what is it actually like to live with a chronic illness that many people would not guess or even come close to knowing that that's a part of your journey. Yeah, I think it's really hard because sometimes with chronic illness, the symptoms will show. So if 
I, I don't know what an example is just off the top of my head, but. Well, like for people going through radiation or chemotherapy, sometimes they lose their hair or, right. you know, like that's obvious. Mm-hmm. But for ongoing illness, it and it is often silent, right? And so I find from I find it's like a balance of, like some days are good and some and most days, a lot of days are really hard. So coping with the days that are hard on the inside or what you're feeling, even though you might look normal on the outside. So I think that branches out in a couple of different ways, certainly in terms of asking for help. Like that was a big thing when we sort of hit the crisis moments in our, like when we were first diagnosed or when things were really bad. But it's really hard to keep asking for help with chronic illness because even on the days that are good, like we can always use help, right? And so it's, you sort of feel like, uh, sometimes I feel like it, it's like a never ending ask and that's really uncomfortable. You feel like you kind of tap out your ask quota. Yeah, and like, you know, when friends move, like with nerve issues and like hernia discs in my back and and you with different things it's like when friends move or whatever it's like just normal oh just come help us move and it's like well I I can't really and I don't really want to get into it or um shoveling the driveway in the winter and god thank you that our son is now big enough that he can shovel (laughs) all part of the plan right and (laughs) and cut grass but like it's embarrassing to Mm -hmm. to ask for for help for those things because you're just like you're just kind of supposed to cut your own grass and shovel your own driveway but also uh fatigue for you in my eyes the way that it shows up the most is fatigue and so whether that's just um ms causing you fatigue or dealing with the fear and anxiety and other things is fatiguing like it's hard to tweeze those out sometimes and for me dealing with pain is very fatiguing and so i ignore the pain and i ignore the issues uh fairly effectively but like there's there's side benefits of like feeling numb to my emotions sometimes because i ignore certain things or like being really fatigued um i'll share a couple stories uh that kind of encapsulate some of the hard i remember when we were younger i'm trying to place the date (laughs) when our kids were like maybe two and three two and four I remember we came out and uh, Bryce was teaching Ella a game and uh, he's like, we're playing hospital. So you sit there and we're going to wait while mom and dad go like get tests. Mm. And like they were like role playing like waiting rooms in a hospital. And I was like, it's just heartbreaking because like that, that shouldn't be the experience of a kid. But then at the same time, I was like, well, why not? Like... (laughs) They, they don't know any different. So it was like, you know, they think it's fun right now or whatever. So th- like that, I remember that being really heartbreaking and just realizing that, realizing that our lives are different. And now as our kids are older and, you know, Bryce would love for me to play sports with him and do all sorts of things and be way more active. And, and like, I don't know, once a month, once every couple of weeks, He'll just like kind of give me a hug and be like, I wish you weren't sick like everyone else's parents. And it's like, me too. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I'd love to be more active with him and do more 
but it's like we just we need to sleep a lot more than most people yeah and i think our relationship is a bit unusual in that with both of us having chronic illness we're both experiencing it but then also our caretakers of each other right like caregivers i mean so we not only have the fatigue from the diseases that we have but then also like the ongoing care for the other person who's chronically ill I, I, so it's all around just exhausting i think that goes into my next question of what is it kind of like being in a relationship where both of you have chronic illness you kind of mentioned that you're both experiencing illness while being a caretaker a provider at the same time mm-hmm. what does that look like navigating that um how have you grown? What are barriers that there are? Well, early on, we had a rule that you can't be sick at the same time. <laughs> that, how that <laughs> How's it going? We haven't yeah. always followed that rule. Yeah. So it's like, it, if you're having like a bad, a bad day, it's like, oh, Debs called it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it's, in, it's interesting because when we first met, neither, neither one of us was sick, right? And so now we laugh and say like when we got married, and set our vows to each other, we had no idea that there would be way more sickness than health. And so that's... When we're at people's weddings. Yeah, we always kind of elbow each other when they get to that part. And, and we say in sickness or in sickness. Yeah, we'll look at each other and say, <laughs> We may be sickness. a little jaded. <laughs> and in Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, obviously that was a surprise because we didn't anticipate that when we were first dating and and then deciding to get married. And I think it has for sure like taken a toll at times in our marriage just because it's, it's like in life sometimes you wish you just had one thing to deal with, but when you have so many things to deal with and because both of us have autoimmune issues, we continue to have these surprises of sort of the ongoing effects, effects of immune systems that don't operate completely like they should. So just a few months after I was diagnosed with MS, I also found out that I have celiac disease. So that was like an add-on and seemed like there's been a few things with Eric too. And so it's like this ongoing sort of maintaining of how do we stay, like how do we do our best to be healthy and manage these diseases? And also like how do we anchor ourselves with the unpredictability of what chronic illness can bring and sort of the ups and downs within the, the illnesses that we have and how do we how do we navigate that? So what does that kind of look like on a day-to-day kind of experience? As someone who does not have chronic illness, I've and especially doesn't have a partner as well that deals with that, I have no idea what that would kind of look like. In the last six months, for me, it's meant a lot of output. So I feel like, because Eric is just coming out of a big flare-up. So for me, like right now, I'm exhausted. So part of my coping with it now is to do some self-care. So I went away on a contemplative retreat. Uh, We went away um, the weekend before family day just to have some time together, really chill with no responsibilities. But certainly I think in terms of my own experience and caring for Eric, especially after a really intense time, um, like I'm tired, I just find my capacity is more limited. I think I have a huge capacity. I think it's in my skill set to do a lot and to be able to juggle a lot but I'm also getting better at recognizing when there's those seasons of a lot of output just how tired I am. I like to joke that when you developed MS you became a mere mortal 
You, yeah. <laughs> you used to be a superhero or, you know, demigod that was able to <laughs> do so much and now you're just a mere mortal and among among us in terms of your capacity and fatigue. I certainly have had to get a lot better at saying no, like really choosing what's most important to to fill my life with. That's been a learning process for sure. And we were even saying on the car ride here that it has meant a difference in our family. We probably would have had more kids. Yeah. And we we have described our chronic illness as our third and fourth child oh <laughs> based on like the amount of energy yeah, output that, that we've... Um, and financially too. Financially. Like things that we've had to... Yeah. Gluten-free diet and medications and all that stuff. Yeah. Like currently, just to give you an... Uh, a look my the medications that I take outstrip my annual salary in terms of cost um, and you know I'm so benefited to live in Canada and to work for a company that gives me health coverage and actually um, it doesn't cover at all and so the actually the drug company that uh, makes the drugs that I take picks up the the shortfall so it's like total blessing from God through drug company and our organization and our country. And uh, so that's awesome. I have a, uh, a question that you can tell me if it's off base or not. Um, so I assume that as parents, you, you feel, uh, you know, obviously a, a burden, not a bad burden, but a burden to take care of your children and to mm-hmm. be there for them. And also with the unfortunate circumstance that you both have chronic illness the burden to take care of the other do you sometimes find it's difficult to give yourself permission to have a bad day when there's so much responsibility surrounding your lives towards your kids and towards each other i'm definitely like that i think my mechanism for life is just to pull up my bootstraps and keep going and then i get like i feel right now i get to the end of a really tough season and i then clue into how exhausted i actually am And certainly I think that's part of like the invisibleness of it is like really feeling like I have to hold it together for my family or, you know, keep things very much in check. Um, You know, most people that would interact with me at work or at church would have no idea at all because I, for one, I'm in really good health right now. I have none of the ongoing symptoms that I had in those first few MS episodes. So that's a huge, like good thing. That's like I'm, I'm kind of a, an abnormality that way in terms of my recovery. But also the days that I am really fatigued or I am really struggling, um, like part of this too is dealing with ongoing chronic illness is like how it does affect our mental health, right? And so both of us have struggled with anxiety and depression and how do you cope when the future is really unknown? You know, how do you enjoy even give yourself permission to enjoy the good things because it's really easy to fear that they'll be gone quickly so i think it it does all play into a little bit that like you put on the like i'm okay even if you're really not okay because you know as you're chatting with someone in the line at the grocery store or at church on sunday or at work or whatever you don't always want to get into a deep conversation about how you're actually doing you always tell me when i'm going to a doctor's appointment don't lie to the doctor <laughs> because it's a good rule of thumb. Well, you get into this mindset. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Okay. How's your Crohn's? Great. Whatever. Like I just brush it off because I'm like I don't want to deal with it. So then when I get to the doctor, they're like, "How are you doing? Great. 
And then, <laughs> and then I'm, I'm like, no, wait a minute. I'm like dying. Please help me. <laughs> You're the person I'm supposed to tell that to. And uh, I just had an appointment recently. I told her, that I told my doctor that Dawn said that to me and she burst out laughing and uh, we had a good laugh about it. But, you know, it's hard. And like that raises another thing too, like even going to speak with our healthcare professionals, like sometimes if there's something going wrong like I feel really embarrassed to go back and say hey like I have this happening on top of it and our healthcare providers are awesome they're always like no that's why we're here but there's this like internal struggle for me anyway to be like oh again it's like that thing I gotta ask for help again well and like it's like right now I'm not gonna tell you what but we're dealing with an issue for me that I'm embarrassed about and Don's like, you need to go to the doctor. I'm like, no, I'm, you will not make me go to the doctor. And so we're currently even in a moment where like. <laughs> I'm like, no, this isn't normal. Why? I'm worried about you. You need to go back to the doctor. What's the resistance? Is it? Uh, it's just just stupidity, I guess. Huh. It, it, it comes. <laughs> a simple answer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll probably get over myself in the next week or two. Hopefully, <laughs> Hopefully it won't be that big of an issue. Are there any silver linings in the midst of chronic illness? And I feel like I'm almost stupid asking because I feel like there's no, but I want to know. It sucks. Like, just really to say it bluntly, like to be, and to be together in, like there's benefit in that we're both sick because we can empathize with each other, but it's also really hard that we both have to deal with this so like like you're saying I struggle a little bit with the idea of like the silver lining in it I think it's it just really sucks mm. but having experienced it having suffered and I don't use that word lightly like we have both had numerous times in our life where we've suffered because of the illnesses we have that has grown in me particularly a tremendous increase in compassion for others in understanding the struggle, I guess, that people have as human beings and being able to be tender and kind when there are things that are happening that are uncomfortable or sad or difficult because of what we've experienced. Yeah, I would I would add, not to over-spiritualize, but it has provided me ample opportunities to reach out to God and to like ask for help to call on God to save us. And um, it has really strengthened my faith to watch him provide in different ways. Um, so that's good. Um, I often was like, is there any other way I could have learned that? You know, like it would have been great, but you know, it is what it is. I do think that we have more compassion and understanding for people that are suffering. I would agree with you on that and just like not even compassion for others that are struggling but just like recognizing like human to human just i i don't know how to describe it exactly but this feeling that i have of like recognizing and giving dignity to other human beings and what their story is like because we have a backstory i think i'm just much more cognizant that everybody is is carrying a story right and and much more in tune i think to listen and to recognize that there's also like being able to give your need to someone we talk about this a bunch like not just giving your out of your abundance but giving your need to people to 
it builds deep intimacy and relationship and connection. So my best friend, uh, his name is Tim. Notorious. Never heard of him. <laughs> they like to tease me here. And like I've had, that term has applied to different people over the course of my life based on geography and, and time and so on. But right now, my best friend's name is Tim. That's kind of minimizing. Like, I feel like He knows. <laughs> okay. I haven't known okay. him all my life. I've only known. So I'm going to tell you how our relationship tell started. Me. Tell me. Right after our, my surgery. So we knew of each other. We went to the same church and we were friendly. Um, but lying in a hospital bed, like, I couldn't even open my eyes. I was in so much pain. Uh he came and just worked like he just sat beside my bed he didn't talk to me he just was there he was a presence and he just like for whatever reason understood that i needed him and uh he just was there and like that built an intimacy and relationship between us that like has grown and like stood the test of time because um he like he didn't i was in london for the surgery he didn't have to drive from guelph to like do that and he came twice three times in five days and like he was just like i can just be here for you and without illness I mean, there are other ways to, to make friends, <laughs> but without, <Really>? yeah, <laughs> there are, don't know how. without illness, I don't think that we, he and I would have the same relationship. And so there, there, I hate to say silver linings, but there have been moments that, that of beauty. I'll, I'll say that. I'm curious about how your faith has impacted how you view your chronic illness. If you weren't Christian, would it would do you think you would interact with your chronic illness differently? Do you think you'd view it differently? It can be better or for worse too. Like, are you angry at God, or does it provide purpose to the suffering? What are some of the biggest ways that your faith impacts how you view it? Yes, and yes to to a lot of the things that you said. I think there's been moments that I know for both of us when we hit our like I, what I'd say is the biggest crisis in both of those experiences with Eric having to go into surgery and with my initial MS episode being so severe, like really thinking that I might die. Like we honestly were in that place where we just didn't know what was going to happen or that I might never be able to walk again. Um, at the time of my diagnosis, the neurologist said that I could expect to, to fully be in a wheelchair within the next five years because of how severe that first episode I experienced was. So that's like pretty heavy, right? When you go from like literally being fine one day to like six days later, hearing that you could be in a wheelchair permanently and lose the ability to walk and whoa, like it was just, it just turned our world upside down. So I think in, we have found that in those moments, our direction was to lean into God I think it, it could easily go either way, right? So for both of us, that was our natural direction, which I'm I'm really thankful for. And I think it was just because we had some really deep foundations in our walk with God before encountering that. And so both both of us, 
uh, like I remember being in the hospital and both of us just like crying together, crying out to God. We had, this is a perfect opportunity to use this word, we had a robust understanding of suffering, like just mentally before experiencing it physically. So those are different, obviously, but it allowed us to lean into God instead of leaning away. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, but there's also like a, I don't want to say barrier, but there have been times where it's like you see God acting or moving in someone else's life. They experience healing or they experience like some great thing. And you're just like, oh, decky for you. Like I'm, I'm over here dying. Like there's jealousy for sure in like I know that you can heal me, God. Why aren't you? So there's confusion and jealousy and things that I've had to work through. And I think it's been good for me to do that. Um, and I think I'm currently at a place where a lot of the sting or the hurt of like being, I don't want to say stuck, but stuck in, in chronic illness is, has been removed. And I'm, I'm living day to day in and kind of acknowledging and and leaning into God. When you when you were sharing, uh, you had a bit of a emotional response there. Mm-hmm. What what what's the source of that uh, emotion? Sometimes it just creeps up on me, honestly, like the rush of intensity of feeling back in that moment or remembering, and uh, I think in just this scenario being open to share like when it comes up like that it comes up really strong yeah so just feeling like definitely place myself back in that specific situation and the intensity of the emotion around it bubbles up again and that that uh emotion that you're kind of it's like an echo of what you experienced back then is that from frustration with god or just being at the end of your rope i think for me probably the emotion that comes to the surface most is sadness so like the the loss that's associated with having chronic illness and especially when I was diagnosed with MS because there was there was so much at risk to lose Um, not only just in my own physical mobility but also like plans for the future in our parenting like it just felt like there was so much at risk and so that desperation that I that I feel or go back to, I think often for me comes out as sadness most. What about for you, Eric? I struggle to feel emotion, but yeah. Yeah, uh, for me, there wasn't a lot of times where I felt, I would say angry with God. Afraid. I would, afraid or questioning. And for a number of years, I found great solace going back in scripture to people who had experienced sort of the highs and lows. Like I found great solace in the Psalms where there's these like really intense emotions of God, what are you doing? And then this resolution and that very much has followed my own experience of like, God, what is this? Like, why am I experiencing this? Where are you? And yet in those moments also feeling God very close and near. I'm processing more. I'm a verbal processor. so the thing for me is like how much my body has failed me so like one thing i would love to do probably my deepest 
desire would be to run Ironmans. Um, so for those who don't know, it's swimming, uh, biking, and running. And it's essentially swimming 4K, biking 180K, and then running a marathon um, all at once. And I remember watching the Ironman competition as a kid and just being like, that's amazing and just wanted to do that. But just like feeling like it was outside of my reach and then meeting a guy at my church who, who does it. And he's, he's like in his fifties, he's almost 60 now. And he's just like, yeah, you just do it. Like he, and I'm like, there's nothing. Well, it's like, there's, and being like, there's nothing special about him that he's able to do it. He just does it. And I was like, you can do that. And just getting excited about it and then just going, pursuing it. And then my body's just like, nope, you can't do that. And then like, you know, experiencing a bit of healing and trying to trying again. And so like, how many times have I tried to like pursue that like four or five and like, I'm not giving up yet. Uh, but it's, it's like the law, the grieving and the loss of like dreams and, mm-hmm. and yeah and for me like another deeper layer so when I was young I had a near-death experience at summer camp where I nearly drowned and um, didn't know until I was diagnosed with MS that I actually have PTSD from that first experience and so there were a lot of things that I experienced from you know my early teen years into my 30s that now I look back and were reflective of that early trauma that I had and then when I was diagnosed with MS it's like my brain and body were like oh and by the way there's all of this stuff that you need to deal with from this past trauma that you had when you were a kid and so it was also wrapping my mind around what that meant and and because it was a trauma associated with a near-death experience that fear of what was going to happen and, and and still like what happens in the future am I going to die was very much uh, triggered as a result of my diagnosis so again that was like a lot of even faith res- wrestling and understanding like why is the timing of this all rolling out the way that it is and god what are you doing and a lot of questions but also in that I've I have also experienced like very dramatically God's healing in my life. So the whole process has been sort of learn, learning to hold things in tension, right? What isn't, what's like, what isn't there, what's hope for the loss with the beauty promise. And for me, very two very specific healing experiences that I've had uh, early on in my diagnosis we had some friends that came and prayed with me and there was a significant change on my MRI scan, the next scan that I had. And the neurologist said, like, when you have scarring like this, it's very, very unusual for that scarring to decrease. And I had showed a decrease on my scan. So that was like a, a really sort of supernatural, like, how has this happened? You know, how can this happen? And then I've, I've had another experience too, where I physically felt God's presence strongly in my body and and felt like nerve healing and I mean that's like a whole 
that could be a whole other episode just in terms of what like a physical healing experience in in my body felt like so it it mixed in with all of these other things right so it's like there's no clear I feel like there's no clear one feeling or emotion or experience it's like all these things wrapped up in the journey Mm. it feels like you guys are holding a lot of things in almost a very small space into individuals like Mm -hmm. the odds of having a couple together dealing with chronic illness I don't want to know them kind of just want to grieve for the way that you guys were talking about your dreams or your parenting like that is such a hard sphere to hold mm-hmm. and we've talked a lot about the impact it's had on you guys individually your parenting even um, your relationship together but I kind of wanted to transition a bit into the way that community around you has impacted and how you've experienced it as well too and you often ask questions about uh, the church and we're not necessarily referring to your church here, but just, you know, the body of community that we have around us. And um, we, we like to end on a better note. So I'm going to ask the hard one first and Pat can probably ask a nice cheery uh, <laughs> celebration afterwards. But um, what do you think the church is doing poorly when it comes to chronic illness? So I think one of the hardest things when you see someone that's going through a hard time or suffering is the good intention of wanting to fix it and the words that we use or the actions that we take because we want to fix what's going on and sometimes these things in life just can't be fixed and so in terms of even talking about it I think people even with good intentions can really struggle with how to relate or even how to talk about things that are really hard So um, one of the things that I work in and around a lot in my professional life, working with um, families that have experienced loss is is just even supportive language. So anytime that you hear phrases like, well, at least, da-da-da, or, well, you could be thankful that, da-da-da, you know, it, it, those can be really hard to hear when you're in a place of hurting, hurting, you know? And so I think we need to do a better job of giving ourselves the language to express because what they're wanting to say is, hey, I'm, I really feel for you. I'm sorry that you're going through that. But I think it's so easy, and this isn't just necessarily in the church, but just culturally to not have the words to express uh, how to support someone when they're going through something really difficult. I think... The only thing I might add is the church doesn't necessarily pace themselves well, like for the long haul of someone's journey. There's often um, help and support and things for the short term, but then it's like if you don't see God heal or you don't like, it's like what to do when you're continue to be in relationship with people for the long haul. Mm -hmm. Um, That can be really hard and, uh, People don't necessarily know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, learning, like, I think one of the gifts that we've received is we do have some people in our in our life that are able to sit in the pain, and that's something that I've, I want to grow in and that I, I have intentionally done is just how do you sit with someone that's experiencing something really hard and be with them in the space in a way that they need, not in a way that you need to feel better about the situation. And so I think that's something that we can learn and practice 
in a much greater degree within Christian community. Mm. Yeah, I think those are all wonderful and practical things that we can learn from as well too. I'm curious if in your guys' experience, have you found there's a tendency to over-spiritualize when it comes to your your guys' experiences? And like the impact, the harm that that's had on, you know, your experience of community, your relationship with God, whatever that is. What's an example of uh, over-spiritualizing this? I guess I'm curious if, as someone who deals with mental illness, Um, people saying like you just need to pray harder god has a plan Um, god has a plan and so is are you just like stop saying those things (laughs) have people said those things to you i really hope not i think i think um we're gonna do better at the good community aspects of the question that pat's gonna ask because i think we have really been blessed by community that's come around us Mm -hmm. i think we can imagine and like we could answer that question hypothetically, but for the most part, mm-hmm. when, wouldn't you say we've we haven't really experienced a lot of negative community? Mm-hmm. I, I think it often comes in wanting to fix it. So yeah, like I've had people say, you know, do you think it's related to this or that in your spiritual life? Like, do you think that your illness is a result of something, I don't some know, sin, some sin or something? I will add one thing: the the cures, the random cures. Have you tried? Have you? You have Crohn's disease, but have you tried eating a spoonful of coconut oil every day? <laughs> have you tried, like... And has that worked? Have you? <laughs> no, I have not. Well, there Although you go. Although I do love coconut oil. Yeah. We do. Uh, but it's just like, uh, we've tried a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need your... Like, it. it's not... I understand the... the like, and that's just not the church. That's just, like, people in general. Mm-hmm. People find their thing and latch onto it latch yeah. onto it and and you know that and happens yeah like within jesus followers there's even um a range of theological belief around suffering and healing and and right so there's like different flavors even as you're talking or praying with different people about what they believe around chronic illness and so for us i know our our experience has in some way shaped what we believe and and how we connect with god um in you know in the midst of chronic illness i think and i and i think for for us those situations that we've had we've had to let go and sometimes we'll talk to the person and say you know what we really needed in this moment was for you to say this or do this versus you know when you said that it made me feel maybe i felt more shame around my illness or whatever and i know that that's not what god wants me to feel Mm. all right let's talk about the good ones yeah yeah i want to transition into that um but I also want to say it's been helpful for me to to hear that because I think I have adopted the Western cultural mentality of like the fix it situation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just a fixer mm-hmm. and I don't really know how to f- fix that about myself. And I'm tempted to because I'm a fixer. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, there's a problem. How do I fix it? So I'm, I, it's about reflex uh, to just kind of sort out a problem mm-hmm. and uh, offer you solutions that I'm sure you've thought of already and, and tried. Um, and it's just a. I think it's a. It sometimes works its way into the church because Christianity is so often expressed as the solution to the world's problems. Right. There's a problem. Just take a glass full of Jesus, and it'll heal you right up. Throw them at him. Yeah, and it's just gonna heal all your problems. Uh, but we live in a in a broken world, mm-hmm. and that's that's not going away until 
Jesus returns. So sometimes it's just difficult to maybe accept for the fact that it's just going to be this way and you're going to continue to hurt and struggle. Mm-hmm. And personally, I find I sometimes don't know how to sit with somebody in their pain and their suffering. And it was great that you shared uh, that story about your best friend, Tim, because it was uh, maybe a good example of, of how someone can do that and sit sit in that suffering. Mm-hmm. So if we zoom out a little bit, uh, Tim is one example, uh, but what are some of the, the more helpful aspects of how your community has either talked about chronic illness mm-hmm. or how they've how they've approached it with you? Yeah, like in terms of thought, one of the things I really appreciate about our current pastor is just the, like helping us learn how to hold things in tension. So like seeing finding God in our suffering while also believing and hoping for healing, whether that's in our life or, you know, in eternity. And so being able to hold those two and and really um, grasping God's heart, God's love, God's goodness in the now, however it looks, whether it's that, whether it's God in our suffering or God in our healing, that his presence, his goodness like that that doesn't change so I, that's something i've appreciated just in terms of like the mindset around chronic illness yeah we we are part of a super healthy community in that aspect i think that uh they're very ready to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping so we've experienced both of those um from our from our community and lots of prayer, lots of faith, lots of, lots of, lots of things. And it's when God's family, when Christian, so we're talking about the church, do it well, I think they, they can often do it best. And, um, we've, we've been blessed to see like some of the best examples, I think. Not in the world, but just like. So to give a, a clearer example, maybe because you've talked about sort of the idea around it, but like um, one example would be being an authentic community where you can feel safe to talk about the times when you're doing really well and also the times when you're not. And sometimes it can just be like even respecting that it might just be a short answer. Like, how are you? Actually, I'm having a really hard day today. I hear you. I see you. You know, like we're here together, let's spend some time, whatever it is that we're doing, worshiping or praying or just hanging out. I just want to draw a little bit more out of that. I hear you, I see you are two things that I would have never thought to say in my life. Hmm. So is there is there more language that you can suggest that is helpful uh, when mm-hmm. talking to someone? He you, just you wants know. a script. <laughs> no, he's <laughs> a script. So watch the movie Avatar. Okay. Uh, the Last Airbender, or definitely uh, not that one. Yeah. Not the Last Airbender. Okay. Like James Cameron's Blue, the, Blue People. Yeah, Blue People movie. That one, yeah. So not the Smurfs. One of the things that I love about that movie is uh, one of the greetings they have for each other is "I see you," and um, for for the, those people and their culture, it's about "I see who you are." I see what you bring and I, I acknowledge you and I respect you. And it, it's worth watching the movie just for that, not much else. And then I hear you is just, you can, you can be authentic. Like I wanna, I wanna encourage you to just 
Speak your truth. Speak your truth, as Caroline says. Like, not that I'm advocating swearing, but maybe you need to swear about your chronic illness. Maybe you need to, like, cry. Maybe you need to do whatever. And so it's just like, it's encouraging, inviting that. And I, I hear you. I see you. And part of that is being authentic. So if you would never say it that way, please don't. Well, sometimes <laughs> you just, you don't, you don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What to say. Someone opens up and you're just like, mm. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, here's a helpful phrase too, like even just saying, I don't know what to say right now, but I just want to acknowledge that you've shared this with me. I'm so glad I'm, you shared that yeah, with me. And I'm really sorry you're going through this. Thank you for trusting me. Mm-hmm. What about the from the side of maybe uh, someone with chronic illness that might find it helpful to have some language to sh- you know talk, open up to be a little bit more vulnerable mm-hmm. if that's how they're feeling what's some language that you found helpful to communicate with mm-hmm. others about it yeah i think i've given myself some permission just even in terms of like caveats so um i don't want to get into it too much but i'm just really having a hard day right like giving a bit of a prompt or like i'm really struggling you know can i just tell you one thing that i'm really having a hard time with or, um, there's a Ugandan phrase that I really love, which is, I am just here. And I feel that. People will often ask us, like, how are you? And that's, that will be our response. We're here. Like, we're in this moment. We're here. We're not fabulous. We're not the worst we've ever been. But we're here. And we're, like, truly present. The response that I would appreciate is, oh, thank you for coming. You know, like, I see mm-hmm. that, like, I'm this, here with you. This may have been a hard, hard day or whatever. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think one of the really practical things too, like people often say, well, what can we do to help? That's actually a really hard question to answer, right? Same thing like when someone goes through a loss or um, whatever circumstances there might be, we want to extend love to them. We want to meet their practical needs, but that can be a really hard question to answer. Yeah, you're thrusting the burden back onto the person to help yeah. you help them. Yeah. So one of the practice, practices I've been trying to do is is maybe think of a couple of things to, su- to suggest to someone. So if someone we know, say, is had surgery and they're in the hospital, to say, hey, can we bring you a coffee or could I send you a note or and think about different ways that people might receive love we talk a lot about the difference between like meeting a um sort of practical need and a felt need i forget what the language is around it but like stated and felt support yeah stated and felt support so you might think like stated support would be like wanting to fix whatever is going on but what the felt support like what the person actually needs or might not be what you think that they need right or like i love you or I'm just going to come sit in your hospital room and read all day. Not say anything to you. Shout out to Tim once more. <laughs> Shout out uh, to Tim. You mean his best friend, Tim. Yeah. Best friend, Tim. Sorry. <laughs> didn't give the proper title. Yeah. So it's like, I didn't even know I needed that. So if he had asked me, what do you need? I wouldn't have said that. No. And if he had said, hey, like, can I come, can I come and, and sit in your room for 10 hours you probably would have been like well I, that's, like that's kind of weird that's kind of taking time out of your day or like it's like again that uncomfortableness of like even though you're sick you don't really want to put anyone else out either but that was exact like that was your felt need companionship com- like yeah. someone that was just 
present in the uncomfortableness of the tension of like all that we were experiencing at that time. So it's it's and, worth than just like taking a shot at it, saying like, mm, I might appreciate this. I'm I'm gonna make them a meal or I'm gonna come mm-hmm. spend some time and I guess maybe trust that the other person will let you know if, yeah. if that's not appropriate or if that's not something that is helpful. Yeah, and to lean into the Tim story. So after he came, he went home and emailed all of our friends and said, the Humphreys are not telling the whole story. Eric is dying. <laughs> Please, like, he's doing really poorly in the hospital. Go see them. Like, go spend time. Go be with them. So he was an advocate for us so that we didn't have to take on the weight of also advocating for ourselves. And that, that was also great. Um, because advocating for yourself when you're already fatigued is, mm-hmm. is impossible often. And so like you may not even have to be the one um, doing the supporting. I, we tell a story, this isn't about our chronic illness, mm-hmm. Don's smiling because she knows the story I'm gonna tell. Um, when we took possession of our first house, a uh, long time ago, anyway, um, we needed to do a whole bunch of work before we moved in and... Um, we were on a really tight timeline I think we had five or six days between getting possession and when we had to move all of our stuff. And it was, we had a lot to do, a bunch of wallpaper to rip off and just painting and a bunch of stuff. And Don's grandma passed away and we had to- The day we got possession of our house, yeah. Yeah, and we had to fly to Manitoba to, to attend the funeral. And so our tight turnaround became much tighter and we went to um, a friend's house to ask for, to advocate for ourselves, to ask for help. And he was like, Ugh, um, I have an exam tomorrow. Um, I can't help you. I feel really bad. I'm sorry. And uh, we went back to the car and Don just started bawling. Like the weight of everything just kind of came crashing down. And we were like, whatever. So we just went to the house and started pulling wallpaper. And over the next 30 minutes, um, about 20 students descended on our house uh, because Ding dong. Ding dong. that friend, he couldn't come, but he could advocate for us. So he called up everyone he knew and said, the Humphreys need you, go now. And so we, we just ended up buying pizza and walking from room to room, giving out jobs because we had to, it was, that was all we could do to keep the people busy who were there. There was like 20 people Mm -hmm. and we got all the work done in one night. And so just stuff like that. Even if you can't be the one to do the help, like being an advocate for someone is, is huge. Wow. I, that is such a wonderful place. I don't want to say to end because on this show we like to give the final word to our wonderful guests, but there's two of you. I want Dawn to have the last word. <gasps> Much like in our lives, you get the last word. <laughs> what does that mean? That's a great question. It essentially can be whatever you'd like it to be. Um, we just want to provide dignity to you as the guest. Hmm. Um, and whether it's advice, a lasting phrase, a question you want people to just chew on whatever Hmm. you'd like it to be this time is yours okay well i think i would really hone in on what we touched on with the i see you i hear you how can you apply that in your own life when you look into the eyes of someone who is struggling who's suffering to say i see you i hear what you're saying 
And even if you can't totally understand it, like if you've never experienced it before, to somehow just honor that place that they're in. And um, I live a lot in the world of feelings, so I can describe like what that feeling feels like to me when I see someone and I hear them and I, I get this warmth in my chest of saying like, I recognize you as another person who's across from me whose experience is, is heard and honored in this moment. And uh, I think there's a power to that, again, of, of not rushing to try and fix it, but just to, to really be present in the moment with that person as they're sharing that with you. Well, I am the number one groupie now for Don Humphrey. <laughs> Get in line. <laughs> yeah, I would argue. Uh, you're number room, two. You're not, <laughs> you're not number one. No. Yeah, hashtag Don is awesome. Yeah. Oh, Don is awesome. Wow. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. This has been a little interesting with Eric now being the guest and not the host. And thank you, Pat, for being here as well, too. I'm so excited that Pat was here. I it know you were. a privilege. It obviously took you a lot of convincing to get me back. You literally said, whenever, wherever, <laughs> I will be there. <laughs> well, Shakira for you there. Yeah. <laughs> whenever, wherever, man, I'm yep. here. But it, I really appreciate the vulnerability with which you guys were um, willing to share about your, your experience. And I know personally it's helped me think about uh, how I can have better conversations uh, on this topic with Eric specifically, because we're friends. And uh, You're friends? I'm yeah. shocked. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not like his best friend, Tim. Well, thank you guys again. We appreciate you. We see you and we hear you. And we will try to do better at seeing and hearing you. Um, and for our listeners, we will catch you on another episode of Undiscussed. See you later. You always need to have the final word. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>